Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to The Story Chunder with Matt Young. This is the podcast where people tell unbelievably true stories from their lives for your amusement and disapproval. <laughs> this week's episode is a bit of a grab bag. I've looked through the archives, I pulled some of the current uh, stories that are being told, and I thought I'd put together a nice program for you. So we hope you enjoy some wonderful storytellers and a special storyteller who might sound familiar to you. First up, we have Kelly Mack, who has been on the Story of Chunder twice and has even co-hosted. And Kelly tells an amazing story about the time that she turned 50 and she thought she was going on a trip one place, but her mother had another idea altogether. This story was recorded live at the Story of Chunder at Backdock Arts on the 24th of February. I recently turned 50, which was surprising in many ways. The most surprising thing was how much I enjoyed it. And the thing that I enjoyed easily the most was the free bowel cancer screening kit. <laughs> now, I don't know about you guys, but it's a real treat for me to be able to send my shit to the government without being charged. <laughs> and I get to do it every two years. But this is not what my story is about. Uh, let's move on to what I least like about being 50, and that is boomer parents who refuse to die. <laughs> now, lest you think harshly of me, for wishing the speedy demise of my parents. Let me tell you this story about my mother. We're gonna leave Dad. Dad deserves his own special. And this story about my mother begins 25 years ago when I placed her third and last grandchild into her arms. She turned to me and said, get through it, do a good job, and I'll take you to Paris. I got through it, who cares what kind of a job I did, she books the tickets. <laughs> of course I let her do everything because I'm a generation Xer. I've reinvented the term slacker, so. This really illustrates the Machiavellian madness of my mother. On the way to the airport in the car, she informs me that she has a surprise. The surprise being that we are not in fact going to Paris. And I turn to her and say, well, where are we going? And with a big shitting grin on her face, she says, Israel. Okay, okay. So we arrive at Heathrow where we flew out to Tel Aviv and LL Airlines, they're the national carrier for Israel. Now when you go onto an international airport, you know how you see the big bank of airlines, your Emirates, your corners, your simple, well LL is very different. You have to trek four kilometres through Heathrow to find the little section where they have them. Because clearly, if a bomb went off, it wouldn't take out the rest of the airport. When you arrive to check in, you are greeted by not one but two eight-foot guards in full flat gear carrying semi-automatic weapons. Any anxiety you might have is not eased by the preppy 25-year-old in a baseball cap with a clipboard who prances up to you and asks you 50 questions which are just different versions of the same two. Are you going to Palestine and are you going to blow shit up? <laughs> 
waiting out the bomb scare. There are about 50 airport guards screaming in Hebrew, blowing whistles, and they're the only ones who are excited. Everyone else is absolutely used to this. And I had fashioned a bunker for my mother and I out of our own luggage, and I couldn't resist. I turned to her and said, I'm just going to tell you, Ma, this is so much better than Paris. <laughs> now, this was unexpected. The next thing that happened was definitely expected, and that was at 3 a.m. we were dragging our luggage through open sewers. And that's because my mother refuses to get a taxi. We have to get a shuttle. And of course, it drops us off two kilometres to the hotel. That's okay. It's not a holiday with my mother unless you're dragging your luggage through open sewers at 3 a.m. So I was calm. And then I almost lost my shit at the Western Wall. You might have known it as the Whaling Wall. Almost created an international incident. When we were doing what you do at the wall, which is this. You write a prayer down on a piece of paper, you fold it, and you stick it between the bricks. Now my prayer began, Dear God, in whom I fervently believe when I'm surrounded by the entire Israeli army. And I'm telling you, they're there. They're good looking, but they're there. <laughs> and I lean over my mother's shoulder and I see what she has written and hand on heart, this is it, word for word. Dear God, please help my daughter lose 15 kilos. <laughs> and the picture then is that it worked. Okay, audience interaction time. Has anyone here been to Jerusalem? Yes. You have? Right. So you know what I'm talking about now is Old Jerusalem City. Modern Jerusalem is around it. Old Jerusalem City is about a kilometre square and it's divided into quarters. You've got one for the Christians, one for the Muslims, one for the Armenians and one for the Jews. Now we visited the Christian quarter and in there was the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Now this is big chief shit. You've got two holy sites that this thing is built on top of. The site where Christ is supposed to have died, uh, Calvary, Golgotha, and the site where he's supposed to have been buried. And we're standing at the front of it. There's a beautiful facade. And I notice that on the balcony, about the second floor up, there's this ladder. And I turn to our tour guide and I say, oh, what's going on? Is they doing, they're doing some work up there. We've got a ladder. He said, oh, oh, okay. I'm so glad you mentioned this. Everyone, everyone gather up. And who goes on to tell us the story of this ladder? It is called the Immovable Ladder, and it has been up there and not moved since 1728. And the reason for this is that the church is run by six denominations, and they all subscribe to this thing called status quo, the status quo, big chief letters. And that means they can't move anything around or do anything to the place without all six agreeing. <laughs> and no one can agree what that ladder was there for. It could have been something really important. I mean, clearly the cleaners just left it there at 1738. <laughs> You're wondering, is it the real thing? It is. It's made of Lebanese cedar. Julux needs to talk to these people. That's incredible. <laughs> and I said, that is brilliant. Let that be the symbol for the human condition. Not some statue of a chick holding a torch with a flame. Not a dove with an olive branch. That thing is the symbol for the human condition. Then we went to the Muslim Quarter, and here we get the story of the shirt. I bought this at Jihad's House of Shirts. Jihad's <laughs> <laughs> a kid, he's about 25 back then, and I said to him, Jihad, seriously? And he said, yeah, Dad named me. He's pretty hardcore, but I just want to sell my shirts, man. He's a lovely guy, we're friends on Facebook. And I'll leave you with this. It was pretty hardcore, actually, thanks to you, It was pretty hardcore in the Muslim quarter that day. Most of the shots were shut because the night before, a Palestinian lad had passed away in hospital after being shot by an Israeli soldier. 
So expecting a bit of unrest, most of the shops closed. But there was a juice bar open, and while I was there uh, having a pomegranate juice, an elderly Muslim man just across the way, he beckons me over. So I go over, crouch down with him. And he says, are you from the West? And I said, yes, I am. He says, go home. When you go home, you tell them. You tell them that we are not these saddest. We are not like these murderers. And for a moment there, I thought he was talking about the American people in my tour group. But, you know, if people be straight, Islamic extremists. He said, we love all of God's peoples. And we didn't have anything to say about the atheist peoples, but, you know, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> we love peace. And then he went on to ask me a little bit about myself. He said, are you married? And I said, yes, I'm. He said, praise be to God. He said, are your parents still alive? I said, unfortunately, yes. He said, praise be to God. <laughs> he said, do you have children? I said, yes. He asked, what kind? I said, three sons. He said, oh, praise be to God. And then he got out a piece of red cotton and he tied it around my wrist. And it was a beautiful moment. He raised his eyes to the heavens and he started to bless me. He said, I bless your mother. I bless your father. I bless your husband. I bless your precious, 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 precious sons. And you, daughter in heaven, maybe you be a child of this earth and do what God has commanded you to do. And this was unexpected. And then he charged me five US dollars, <laughs> which I prayed, and that was completely expected. Thank you very much, guys. From Israel, we're about to travel to the Solomon Islands with another storyteller. Aisha Moulton, who is also known as Mixed Understore Coconut on YouTube, check her out. She was on our Insta Live on the 21st of April, and she had a quite unbelievable story that I really enjoyed. My story comes from during the time when I was uh, nursing or during my nursing career. Um, so was, I'd only just started studying um, straight out of school because um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Well, I did. wanted to do something creative and everything, but um, I could be an actor, but my family were kind of pushing me in the, you know, get a stable job, you know, be, you know, you know, stability in your life is good. So I was like, all right, well, I can do nursing. I can travel with that and learn life skills. So I was like, let's do that. Uh, so, yeah, six months, I think, into my degree, uh, I went back uh, for a holiday back to the Solomon Islands where I was from. Um, I like to go back often just to visit friends and family. Uh, and one thing you need to know about my grandparents who live over there is they're kind of like big fish in a small pond situation over there. So they know everyone, have contacts, all that kind of stuff. So um, when I got over there and I obviously they knew about me doing nursing and they were like, oh, you know what? There's a program down at our hospital here at the moment. And uh, it's where they've got like, you know, they'll send a couple of doctors down to Australia to get, you know, upskilled or trained. And in their absence, they'll send, um, you know, a couple of doctors back over to the Solomons to help train up their nurses and staff, as well as just, you know, fill that gap that those um, doctors left. We know one of them. Did you want to go down and hang out with them and just, I guess, you know, see what it's like to be a nurse in that environment? And I was like, well, heck yes, because I'm one of those people that I'm kind of like a yes man. If there's something, anything for me to do out there, I'll give it a go at least once. <laughs> because I suffer from major FOMO. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure, sign me up. I'll go down, spend the day with them. So a couple of days later, went down to the hospital, hung out with them all. Um, it was introduced to the doctors, the, all the nursing staff and everything. And um, the doctor said, all right, cool. Well, is there a specific um, department or, you know, area that you want to focus or specialize in? And I was like, actually, 
I would be really interested in midwifery because I love babies. They're squishy, they're cute, and any excuse to hang out with them all day, that's sign me up kind of thing. Um, so he's like, cool, well, I'll introduce you to all the staff there and um, I'll let you hang with them for the day and you can see, you know, what it's like and get an idea and a feel for it all. I was like, fantastic, great, thanks. So I spent the day down there and I was um, – pretty excited to be there and happy to be there. All the nurses would teach me everything. Um, the things as well about the Solomon Island hospital over there is it's one big room with a whole bunch of just beds in it. Cause we are technically still underdeveloped and everything. So it's just all these women in different stages of labor and pre-labor and things like that. So I was just, you know, helping them out, getting food, water and things like that. Next minute, one of the nurses comes up. And she's like, we've actually got someone going into labor. Do you want to come in and, you know, see that? And I was like, uh, are, they, are they okay with that? Like, are they okay with me being in that room with them, you know, delivering a child? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Come in, see what it's like. And this is, you know, you'll get the real idea of what it's like to be um, a midwife. So I was like, okay, cool, as long as they're all right with that. So I go into the room, got the gown, got the hairnet, got the aprons and gloves, which were too small. So there's that. Um, but they're like, cool. So just come in here, dress up, and then we'll bring you in. So I did all that. Then we got in. So I introduced myself to the mother. Um, just like, hi, sorry. Hopefully you don't mind me being here. Um, she was fine with it all. And so I was just standing off to the corner and the nurse looks at me and goes, all right, so I just need you to come and stand in front of her because you're not going to be able to do anything from over there. I was like, I'm sorry, what do you mean do anything? She's like, oh, you're delivering the baby. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? I was like, I'm in like my first six months of nursing school. I don't think I'm prepared for this. And she's like, no, no, you're fine. Women have been delivering babies and having babies for years, like for as long as we've been alive. So I was like, yeah, I get that. But like me, <laughs> like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, cool. It's cool. I'll walk you through it and everything. So next thing you know, I'm standing there telling her when to breathe and push and holding a baby and then twisting at a certain time and all that stuff. It was all a blur. I couldn't even recreate it if I tried. But yeah, next thing you know, I've got this little baby in my hands and I'm just slippery, by the way, slippery little suckers. But I was like, oh my God, don't drop the baby. All you do, just give the baby over, do the things and do all that. But yeah, so my day of just, you know, hanging out at a hospital just to see what it would be like to be a nurse for a day ended up with me delivering a child so yeah that's my story <laughs> oh, that's amazing. oh my goodness gracious how old were you when this happened oh gosh like 18 it was like yeah, the year out of school so yeah <laughs> absolutely incredible well, it wasn't, so I guess it wasn't a long labor then I mean she was sort of ready to oh yeah it was amazing. And I think for me as well, it was kind of interesting to see the cultural difference because the whole time she was silent, stoic, was just like, all right, cool, pushing now, pushing. And like, no, I'm like, in my head, I'm going, is she okay? She's not screaming. She's not even moving. Like, she's very calm and collected right now. Baby was out in a couple of minutes. I was like, is, is this normal? Like, yeah, my birth wasn't that normal. So that was a really bad kind of example to compare mine to because mine was way worse than that. But um, yeah, it was just so interesting to see the cultural differences and yeah, I guess for them is to show that strength during that time yeah. is important to them. But I was like, that, this is incredible. <laughs> like, yeah. Now I'm a parent, but we actually took the easy route. We adopted children. <laughs> so somebody else had to do all that hard work for us. 
From the Solomon Islands, we travel to Vancouver, Canada, where we meet up with Sarah Carroll, um, who on 27th of April was on our Insta Live and told us a story about meeting one of her idols. So, Sarah Detell is a Katy Perry related story. Um, it's the story of how I met her but didn't know I was meeting her. <laughs> so, basically, context before. So, I'm a massive Katy Perry fan, quite the fangirl. Um, and this, the way this happened, it all happened on Twitter. So, I had a fangirl Twitter account, which I do not have anymore because I deleted it before I moved here for many reasons. Uh, to keep professional. <laughs> um, but I had this fangirl Twitter. It was all about Katy Perry. And I actually met like a lot of great friends through Katy Perry and this Twitter account. So this was in 20, uh, 2017. And I'm on Twitter and I get this DM from a radio station. And it's like one a producer from a radio station. And he's like, hey, um, we found your Twitter account through just like a hashtag. Um, you look like you're a big Katy Perry fan. Uh, you know, we're doing a listening party for Katy Perry's new album. Would you be interested in like coming? And I'm like, okay. But I'm like, is this legit? Like this can't be real. So I'm like, yeah, I'm interested. And then I start like messaging everyone else on Twitter because everyone else is getting this message. And they're like, yeah, like they reached out to me too. So obviously I try and like stalk the person who sent me the message and they seemed legit. They were actually a producer at this radio station and back and forth. They were like, okay, like we'd love to give you a call. So a few days later I get this phone call and they're like, hi, um, yeah, we're from the radio station. Uh, just want to ask you some questions. What's your favorite Katy Perry song? You know, how long have you been a fan for? And I, again, I'm just like so chill about this. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, really love this song. Being a fan since like I kissed a girl. Yeah, like I just really love her. You know, she's awesome. And they're like, great, awesome, cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, so we're gonna get in touch later on um, if you're like coming to this listening party. And they kept saying, just letting you know, because Katy Perry was coming to Sydney when this was happening to promote her tour. So they kept being like, letting you know she's not going to be there, like at all. It's just a weird coincidence that this is happening. And I'm like, okay, cool, awesome. So then that happens and I'm like, all right. And then I get a message and they're like, congrats, like you've been selected to come to this listening party for Universal Music. And I'm like, cool. And they're like, again, Katy Perry's not going to be there, but you're going to get free merch. So they had me at the free merch because I was like, well, yes. Like, I want Katy Perry much. Like, this is everything. So on Twitter, it, like, became known that not everyone got invited to this listening party. There was maybe, like, six of us. So we're like, okay, weird sketch. So then, basically, it's the Friday. And so Katy Perry was in town from Friday to, like, Monday. And the, the listening party was on the Saturday. So I had, like, also won tickets to a rooftop concert, of course, that she was doing at another radio station. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I had to call in sick to work to go to that because obviously as a fangirl, I had to wait in line at six in the morning to be, you know, front row. It's just what you do. So that happened on the Friday. And then the next day was this like listening party. So the day of the listening party happens and Katy Perry is going to be on Sunrise, which in Australia, like if people from Australia watching is like the, it's like a morning show that they have in Australia. That's pretty iconic. So she's making an appearance there. And of course, being the fangirl I am was like, yeah, like I'm gonna go with my friends to try and catch her in Sunrise to try and meet her there. So we go to Sunrise, we're like waiting and she's late. So 
we're like, oh, okay, normal. She's always late to events because we know. And I was like, damn, like I'm going to miss her. So she gets to like sunrise and I see her for like a split second. And I'm like, guys, I have to peace out. I have to go to this like radio station on the other side of town. And they're like, okay, cool. So then I go to this radio station. I get there and there's like, you know, the six other people that also got selected. And we go in and this is a key part of the story. So they're like, oh, welcome. Um, we're just having some technical difficulties right now. So we're actually running a little bit behind. Um, so if you guys wanna like go grab a coffee, go for a walk, you know, come back later. At this point, we're all like, oh my God, like we're meeting her, right? Because she's she's late to sunrise. And like, if like anyone out there who's a fangirl, like you know, like a celebrity's itinerary, like you're like, she's at sunrise in the morning, she has a radio appearance here, and then she's probably going back to her hotel, and then she has like, you know. So you're like, we're connecting the dots, and we're like, oh my God, like she, what, like technical, no, like she's here. So we're like freaking out a little bit, but again, being like, no, be cool. It's like, it's fine. So then we go back, and they're like, oh, thanks, come back, awesome. And then they take like everything off us. They take our phones, our bags. Like we can't take anything into this like listening party, which I was a little upset about because I had a Polaroid camera and I was like, well, if I'm meeting her, I wanted a Polaroid, it's fine. So we then get into this room and we all just like sit at this like table <laughs> really awkwardly. <laughs> and we're all just like, okay, what's happening? And I will say to this day, everyone at the radio station that was obviously in on this did the most perfect acting job because the guy who was hosting it, he, I remember he was like, welcome to the listening party. Um, Universal Music has hosted this and Katy Perry just wants your feedback on her new album, what songs you like. We had feedback sheets, like they'd made up these like pieces of paper that had like, what's your favorite Katy Perry song? Which song do you not like on the album? Like it was legit. And that was the moment I went, oh my God, like, I'm not meeting her. Like, this isn't happening. Like, and we're all just kind of like, wow, okay. So then we awkwardly introduced ourselves. We're like mingling. The guy's like, what Katy Perry song do you want to play? And we're like, play that one. And so we're just chilling. So then one by one, people start, they start taking people from the group to this other room. And they just keep saying, oh, um, we're just taking the like, they're just gonna doing like an interview for Universal Music just to like, so that you can have your feedback on camera. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I was like one of the last few people to go into this interview. And in hindsight, I should have realized that like these people weren't coming back. So that much must mean something because they'd leave and we'd never see them again. But again, everyone was doing such a good job. I, I was convinced this isn't happening. Like I was like, nope, not meeting her. This is just a listening party, like whatever. So I'm like the third last person to get, you know, go into this room and they take us up in an elevator. There's like, it's like security, like with you, those two people. And they were like, how are you? And I'm like, yeah, good. In my mind going, I don't know where I'm going. Like this could be a really bad situation, but I'm like, yeah, whatever, cool. And then they take us into this, like I go into this big room. There's a camera, there's the people from the radio station, like the hosts, and there's this guy behind the camera and there's like these other people. And I'm literally just standing there in the middle, like really awkward. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And the guy's like, yeah, 
we're just gonna ask you a couple of questions, you know, just about the album. Um, it's just for Universal Music. They just want, they really wanna, Katie really wants to connect with her fans. Um, and, you know, yeah, so just like, be cool, it's fine. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. And then the next thing, like, I can't even explain the feeling, but I'm just standing there. And then all of a sudden I just feel like someone is like next to me, like a warm body. And then I literally turn next to me and it's just like Katy Perry's face is just like, <laughs> just like, hi. And then there is a video, I think you've seen it, Matt, but literally for some goddamn reason, like I've been waiting my whole life for this moment to meet my idol and all I do is Oh, hi, how are you? Yeah, oh, cool, hi. Like, just totally cool. Like, and even, I'm pretty sure to this day, I must have like shocked Katie herself. Cause like, she must have, cause everyone before me was literally screaming and crying. And I'm just like, hi, oh yeah, like totally cool. What's up, like, how are you? I mean, inside dying. And I was like, so yeah, so I meet, I meet her. I like have this awesome interaction with her that I'd been waiting my whole life for. Didn't realize I was meeting her. Um, but funny part of that story is afterwards, they um, ended up like posting it to the radio station. Like, you know, biggest, the biggest fans meet Katy Perry and they cut my interaction. <laughs> <laughs> they just cut it. Like everyone else got their light, like spotlight. Like you can see me in the, I don't know if it's still up there somewhere, probably, but you can see me in the round table bit, like talking about like what my favorite song is. And then like my interaction with her is just nowhere to be seen. They just straight up, they were like, yeah, this girl like didn't give us the content we wanted. So she's out. Um, but yeah, that's, that's me meeting her. Now that sounds like a teenage dream if I ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> One of the great joys about taking the Story Tundra online and doing an Insta Live is that we do get to travel across different country and state borders. So this has been a bit of a hodgepodge of stories today because it's not to any particular theme as we usually do. But I just wanted to uh, just share with you stories from people from different parts of the world. And to finish off tonight, I have a story which is also about meeting someone, not someone famous, but um, someone who's very important to me. And this was recorded live uh, at Backdock Arts back in February as well. And I really don't usually put my stories on the podcast. Uh, you know, I like to keep them for live events, but this one is very important to me. Sorry for the constantly changing sound levels today. <laughs> Happens sometimes. Enjoy. All right, so I'm going to finish off the evening with a quick story. Um, I'm going to try to make it quick. Uh, so back in 1999, I, my, in my former life, I was a Broadway dancer. I'm sure that you can tell from these amazing legs. Thank you very much. And the flexibility. Thank you. Um, so I was doing a show called The Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. And the show finished, and everybody, I'd say probably seven of the 16 cast members were going into Broadway shows. I was living in New York at the time. I did not have a job. <laughs> so I went back to New York and immediately was um, an industrial painter. I was painting the inside of an office building. And at the same time, uh, we were being evicted from our apartment, um, and I didn't have a job. So I was walking down the street and I ran into Amy Schul, who was a friend of mine, who had done a chorus line, because I had done a chorus line um, around the United States. And Amy said, hey Matt, 
I need a singer-dancer for a cruise ship. Do you want to go on a cruise ship? And I thought, well, I'm 27, and I kind of wanted to go on a cruise ship when I was 21. But yeah, I need a job, so I'm going to go on this cruise ship. So the best thing about this cruise ship, so the, we had to audition with Under the Sea, so it was like, Under the Sea, Under the Sea, down the dance, where it take from me. Yeah. Um, the best thing about this cruise ship was, I was like, oh, a cruise ship, I'm going to get to see the world, you know, maybe I'll have an affair, you know, I'll do all these great things. The cruise ship was called the Saga Rose, and it was for over 50s holidays makers, <laughs> which meant that it was basically for retirees. And I was singing things like, we will meet again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, although it was a pretty cushy job because we only really had to perform once a week. Um, but the best thing about this job was that at the end of the job, I was going to land in Sydney, Australia, where I had never been before. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be halfway around the world. How exciting. And so we were also arriving in Sydney, Australia, and we Mardi Gras. And I was like, ooh, this is good because I'm a homosexual and I like things like Mardi Gras. <laughs> and so we arrived a week before Mardi Gras and the other thing that you should know at this point is that we had not had an overnight off the ship for eight months. Wow. So this is eight months of abstinence, not by choice, <laughs> and you know, lots of people my grandparents age, which were lovely, were lovely. <laughs> so we get to Sydney and we immediately run off to Oxford Street, which is the big gay mile, and we went to the Albury Hotel, which is now closed. It became a Puma uh, sneaker store, I don't know what it is now. Um, and there were three drag queens, uh, one of them was named Barbara Bubble, and they were up there doing their drag act, you know, spinning on the bar, and I was like, oh, I am in gay heaven. <laughs> and I saw this really cute blonde uh, Aussie guy, so I was like, I was like, I'm much better now that I've met you. So we had a little bit of a chat, and then he was leaving. Aww. So I said, okay, well, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going to go down to another bar down the street called Stonewall, so maybe I'll see you later. So I was like, you will definitely see me later. And so I turned to all the other shop girls and casino workers and, you know, beauticians that were with me, and I said, okay, are we going to the next gay bar? And they said, no, we're going to the casino. And I thought, oh, well, I'm not going to the casino. So I went out on my own in Sydney the week before Mardi Gras, and I walked into the Stonewall, the Stonewall Hotel. Has anybody been to Sydney? Does everybody know, know the Stonewall Hotel? Yeah. Alright, so it's on Oxford Street, which like I said, is sort of the gay mile. And on Wednesday nights at the Stonewall Hotel, now this is before the internet and before mobile phones, they had something called Mailbox, M-A-L-E Box. And on Mailbox, what you would do is you would put a sticker with a number on your shirts, and they had sort of like a ticker tape thing, so if like 3978 wanted to talk to 4231, that would like come up on the ticker tape. So it was a way to like sort of like, you know, it was before swiping left and swiping right. You know, just, yeah. So anyway, so it was Mailbox night, and um, you know, I put on my sticker and I looked around. I didn't really see anybody I knew. So I went up to the second floor, and the second floor was not mailbox night. And I walked in, and again, this is now early 2000, I ran smack into somebody that I knew from New York City. Now, you might think that that's not, that that's not an unusual thing in today's terms, 
but you would remember that I had been on a ship for eight months, and there was no internet. We had no way of knowing that we were both going to be in Sydney at the same time. And this is my friend Emilio Nazario, and Emilio was like, "Ah, oh, Papi, it's so good to see you." And I was like, "Oh, Emilio, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you're here in Sydney." He says, "Oh yes," he says, "I'm, I'm here, and I'm you know looking to find a boyfriend." And this is Rodney, and this is Peter, and this is Paul, and this is Jonathan, and this is you know Christopher. And I said, "Hello, hello, hello, hello." And Emilio said, "But." I just met Gunther over at the bar, and I'm going to go home with Gunther. <laughs> so, meet your new friends! And Amelia struts out there with Gunther, and I look around, and standing there amongst these men is a young man named Peter. And so, Peter and I have a chat, and then it was probably about 2 30 in the morning when we met. And then it was last call, <laughs> the lights coming up, and Peter says, well, where are you going? Do you want to do anything else? And I said, where do you live? He said, around the corner. I said, I think I know where I want to go. And so Peter and I went back to his house. Uh, we had a little bit of small chat, maybe another drink. He leaned up against the washing machine. I gave him a kiss. The washing machine got broken. We don't know why. <laughs> and uh, because I didn't want to go back to the ship, and because he was a very generous young man, he offered for me to spend the night um, at the house because I couldn't use my first overnight in eight months on the ship. And so we, you know, spent some time together. And as we were spending time together, we suddenly heard an alarm go off um, on the Jeep outside, which was Peter's Jeep. And Peter was like, oh, don't worry about that. You know, it must be a cat or something that's climbed over the Jeep. So he went, you know, somewhat naked, to the front door, opened the front door, and went beep beep, and you know, the alarm stopped, and came back to bed. The next morning we woke up, we had some coffee, we decided we were going to go out to a cafe, you know, have a little bit of romantic brunch with our new friend. And the Jeep had been broken into, and the entire console had been removed from the Jeep, because they were trying to get the stereo and everything else that was in there. So that was not... Uh, what we expected from turning off the alarm. So we spent the day together. Peter took the first day off of his work for like the two and a half years since he had started his company. We went on the Bondi, Bondi to Bronte walk. We had a wonderful time. I got back on the ship at four o'clock at night. And as we were moving out of the harbor, the fireboats were spraying, you know, those big sprays. It was very romantic. And it was like fireworks. And I said to my friend Iris, who's one of the um, one of the therapy the um, reflexology girls, I said, you know what? I said, I met this guy. And it was really nice. And I know it's ridiculous because I live in New York City and he lives in Sydney, Australia, but it just felt like something really, really special. That was 20 years ago today, <laughs> on the 24th of February. And Peter and I have been together ever since. Uh, we had a commitment ceremony in 2002. We got legally married in 2015 in the United States. And we raised two children together, one of whom is here. And so happy anniversary to my darling Peter. And with that heart-swarming story, we bid you goodbye for another week. Don't forget to visit us on all of our socials at the story Chunder. That's C-H-U-N-D-E-R. Vomiting up all your true stories, Chunder, at the Story Chunder 
Like us on our YouTube channel. Look for us on wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you rate us too as well. And if you want to contribute some money, a donation to the storytellers, you can look for us on thestorychunder.com and uh, make a donation through our PayPal or our Patreon. This has been Matt Young. Thank you. Stay safe. And we'll see you next time on The Story Chunder. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.